not go back into the chorus? Test. <laughs> okay. Well, if you weren't awake for the after that, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> um, good morning, you guys and gals. Good morning. <laughs> could we stand? We are in the. Ooh. Um, could we stand? We are in the house of the Lord, and uh, it is a wonderful day. The sun is shining. There is just so much to be grateful for. Uh, if you didn't have a chance, look around the garden or the area and just look at the beautiful flowers that God gives to us. It is a beautiful day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen.
Considering the start, that came out great. <laughs> All right. First um, Corinthians chapter six and verse fourteen tells us God raised up the Lord and will also raise up, raise us up by His power. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful that we can come together this morning to worship. And Lord, we thank you that through Your Son Jesus, death is defeated, and we look forward to the day when we stand before You. Today, we're here to worship Jesus, and it's in His name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Good Good to see everybody today. We're here to worship the Lord together. Amen? Amen. Not going to let anything get in the way of that. This morning, uh, if you get the opportunity, please fill out your connection card. For those of you who are watching online or if you're even here, you can do it online. And if you fill that out, you'll just get one text from us, and it will just be the connection card. We do not use that for marketing purposes because nobody seems to want to give us enough money for our list. So anyway, uh, if you fill out the guest one, you'll get two. One of them is, a, is the connection card. The second's a guest survey, so we won't be using it to text you a million times. Well, this morning we're going to continue singing our pra- praises to the Lord, and uh, pr- we pray that you join in with us.
chapter 1 verse 4 says and Jesus Christ our Lord was appointed to be the powerful son of God according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead what power that is he has the power to bring gardens out of graves that's what we're going to sing about the world but it couldn't fill me man's empty praise and treasures that fade were never enough then you came along and put me back
tells us, therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. Oh 
Good morning. Just want to let you know that um, in my life, I'm keenly aware God is watching us. I hope this blesses you like it blesses us. It's the heart of every man. 
above hopes. It's the love of loves. This is a song for every man. God is watching us. God is watching us. God is watching us from a distance. God is watching us. God is watching. God is watching us from a distance. such a pretty song. Appreciate the work they put into that. <clears throat> As you look around the sanctuary this morning, do you feel comfortable? I mean, honestly, it's a little warm in here, but other than that. Yeah. Oh, a female ball grieves with me on that. Yay! <laughs> I'm going to fix that. I'm going to fix that. I'm going to fix that. <laughs> I think one of the things that brings comfort sometimes is when we get around people we know, and I don't know everybody doesn't necessarily know everybody in this room, but a lot of people know a lot of people, and it brings a lot of comfort. Um, do you think there's enough people in here today? Um, when, what do you see when you look at the world around you and the people that you see each day? When you deal with people who are lost and don't know Jesus, what do you think about? What's running through your mind? Do we let the comfort that we feel at church affect how we see lost people and the passion that we have for them? When you look around at lost people, what should you think? What should you feel? What should we try to do, if anything? More importantly is how does Jesus see lost souls? When we look around us, do we feel satisfied with the number of people around us? This isn't a numbers pride issue. I mean, sometimes the church say, we want to we reach, we want to grow to 500, we want to grow to 1,000, we want to grow to whatever. And that's okay. That's a great thing as long as you understand why you're doing it. See, if you're just trying to have a big church, that's the problem. But if you understand that each person who's in the church and you're trying to influence for Christ and trying to grow in Christ is a soul for Christ, then that's much different. Um, it's an issue of knowing. Instead of it being a numerical issue, it's an issue of each of us knowing that in our own individual worlds, there are people who are lost without Jesus. There are people who could potentially and are dying each day without Jesus, people in our sphere of influence. Do you think about that? And if you do, how should you feel? And more importantly, how does Jesus feel? Throughout my ministry, which is growing, growing in years <laughs> by the minute, I've had so many people tell me, 
Jeff, I really want to be a part of a small church because I want to know everyone. And honestly, I kind of get that. It, there's comfort in knowing everyone, isn't there? Unless you know them too well. You know, that's a little... But, but there's comfort. But the problem with that philosophy is that what it can do is we can be so comfortable with whatever numbers we have of people here right now that we lose our passion for those who aren't here, for those who don't know the Lord, for those whom we are called to reach, and for those we're called to help to do what we can to bring people to Jesus. Now, this isn't an issue about a bigger church, although it is a result. But it's actually something much more profound than just numbers in the building. Jesus, in our passage today, is facing another attack from his religious friends. And um, this, this series of three parables that we'll be looking at over the next three weeks is designed both to refute these attacks and to explain why Jesus was doing what he was doing, the very thing they were criticizing him for. As a matter of fact, in uh, Luke 15, verses 1 and 2, here's, here's how it starts. It says, Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the experts in the law were complaining, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. <laughs> So Jesus is going to answer their charge with three parables. And as we look at these three parables, you will see basically four ways a person could become lost. And when you dig into the parables, it's very evident through them. In the parable that we will look at today, the lost sheep, the sheep was lost because it wandered away from the flock. Next week, as we look at the lost coin, the coin was lost through no fault of its own, but through the carelessness and the inability of the person who owned the coin. And then the last one that Jerry will cover, the prodigal son, he was lost by overt and willful disobedience, but the elder brother was also lost through pride, selfishness, and self-righteousness. So we will hit all four of those areas as we go through this message. The big idea to the message for this morning is simply this, that Christ seeks the lost, the outcast and the weak, and he's willing to leave the herd in pursuit of that one. Our new three-week series unpacks three of Jesus' lost parables. The lost, coin, excuse me, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. By understanding God's heart for those who are lost and bringing the lost to him, we can celebrate salvation and conversion with a generous and a joyful heart. Today we'll be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. We've already hit the first two verses, so we'll be in verses 3 through 7. It says this, starting in verses 3 and 4. After all the grumbling, Jesus told them this parable. Which one of you, if he has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, would not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go look for the one that is lost until he finds it? So our first observation is we have a dilemma. Now, Jesus' religious friends here, they were continually critical of who Jesus spent time with. I mean, all along the way, they were always complaining his old buddies here, they were particularly upset that Jesus had the gall to sit down and to break bread and to eat with these sinners and the tax collectors. It cracks me up that tax collectors get thrown into that. But they, but they were all over him about it because they were really upset that he ate with them because in that culture, and somewhat today, table fellowship and breaking bread together is a sign and a seal of full acceptance of what that person's doing. So 
the religious leaders, they surmise, well, Jesus is eating with these sinners and these tax collectors who, remember, they were basically traitors to the nation of Israel, collecting taxes for Rome. And by the way, one of the, when I've been watching the, chosen, watching the Chosen, I really like how they portrayed Matthew with this. But the, th- the thing is, he, by doing that, they surmise, well, he agrees with them. He believes that, that these guys who are sinners, and by the way, you were a sinner if you didn't keep 613 rules that they made up off the 10, okay? That's how, it wasn't just thieves and low lives of society, if you will. As these were people that just weren't ceremonially clean. They were doing things. They'd break a law here or there. And so they were considered sinners. And they were looked down upon by the religious leaders. Remember the charge that just was constant. We find this, I think, in Luke 7, 34, where Jesus was, con- was called a glutton and a drunkard and a friend to those dreaded tax collectors and those horrible sinners. How dare he do that? The attitude of the self-righteous leaders was this. They held themselves to be above the common people, the common sinners. And by the way, that's the worst sin, thinking that they were better than everybody else. And Jesus kind of makes this the climax of his sermon when, he goes, when we start talking about the prodigal son. So Jesus begins his parable. He says, which one of you? Now, by the way, he knows the answer to this question. Which one of you have had a hundred sheep and one wandered off? Would not hesitate to leave the 99 to go find the one. He knows the answer to that. And the answer is they all would. You know why? Because they valued their flock. That flock had monetary value to them. And the shepherds who spent so much time with them. Uh, you know, I, I volunteer at the shelter. And man, it's, the, it's one of the highlights of my week. But the problem with it is I want to take every cat home. And I always tell Robin, oh, this one's my favorite, man. And she, this one is so sweet. And she's like, which one isn't sweet? Okay, okay. Even the one that hissed at me, I like that one too. But the thing is, when you're around those animals, you, you, you develop, you develop a, a love for them. And so Jesus knew when he asked that question, he knew they'd all be thinking in their head, well, yeah, I would, because that's a loss of money. He knew that the shepherd wouldn't say, well, you know what? I got 99 here. I just lost one. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. It wandered off. It was stupid. You know, it's evolution, so it's survival of the fittest. This idiot sheep wasn't one of the fit. He's going to get eaten. Imagine if the shepherd had that attitude when just one of his sheep left. Okay? What's going to happen when the second one does the same thing? Oh, you know, I I still got 98. And then when the third one, oh, I got 97. I won't go much further than that because I, I didn't take math in Bible college, took it at the university. But anyway, so eventually, with that type of attitude, guess what happens? You have no sheep. By the way, you know why churches die? Same problem. Well, you know, that one's on. Or in the case, you know, sometimes people die off. And they've lost a passion to go look for more sheep, to find the lost sheep, okay? The shepherd loved all 100 sheep. Losing one that wandered off was a big deal because he loved them and he placed great value in them. When we look in our individual lives and we see people, if you will, sheep in our lives that are lost, do we think, well, I really don't want to go after that one because I don't want to ruin a friendship or it could hurt me on the job. It's going to be uncomfortable. And you know, Jesus was all about comfort. You know that, right? Jesus never did anything to rock the boat. So, And there's a lot of reasons. But when you look at those people in your sphere of influence that are lost, do you love them? 
Do you value them as much as Jesus does? Now, I understand it's not my power or your power to save anyone. We can just share the message, live the message, and make sure that we proclaim the message in a way that's not offensive, okay? But ultimately, we won't be responsible. You can share the gospel with 1,000 people, 10,000 people. Not a one of them come to Jesus. You're not responsible for that. Unless you're being obnoxious, it's a little different story. But you're showing it, sharing it, and loving people. If not a single person comes to you, that's not on you. We're called to try to reach those sheep. We're called to go after them. See, Jesus doesn't only love those who are in the building today. He loves those who were too drunk last night to get out of bed this morning. He loves those who cursed him all day yesterday. He loves those who maybe are out on the golf course today using his name in a way it shouldn't be used when they slice or whatever and end up in the water traps. I know nothing about that personally, just saying. But um, Jesus doesn't just love us. He loves and values everyone. I love the Mission Impossible series, although when I watch it, I'm thinking, well, what's impossible about these missions? They look pretty easy. But the director of IMF was speaking about his agent, Ethan Hunt, and he says this. He says, some of the flaws in the depth of your core simply won't allow you to choose between the importance of the one life or the millions. And really, God is that way, too. The shepherd is like, he values the, the, the 99, but he values the one, and he's willing to leave the 99 to go after the one. And that's a good trait because he cares. Our passage shows us that Jesus has that same type of attitude. Jesus could easily say, you know, I got, I got 99 here, man. This is great. I got 99. The one, well, you know, whatever. But you, if you love something, let me ask you, I got to be careful here because some of you might think, well, there's one of them I could do without. But let's say you have multiple children. <laughs> now, I know you all love multiple children, Okay, so you really love multiple children. You've got, got a lot of them. We have one family what had 11 kids, 12, 12 kids. How do you do that? I don't get it. But if one of your children wanders off, you don't say, well, you know, I got the other one here. Especially if it's your favorite, which we don't have. But anyway, you wouldn't think, well, I got another child. Okay, now there were times I threatened Rachel and said, well, we'll take you out and make another one. But then she'd say, not as good as me. So I'm like, okay, you got me there. She had a, quite a comeback. But the thing is, we don't do that about things we love and people we love. We have a passion for them. We'll do whatever we can to help bring them back. Too often, too often, <coughs> excuse me, we're so in love and enamored with the 99, we forget about the one. Why should we care about the one? Why should we care? Because we've got 99 others. We care about the one because Jesus does. Jesus cares about the one. Let me ask you a question. Who is the one right now you are seeking? Who is the one in your flock that you are trying to bring back or trying to bring to Jesus? See, the shepherd left the 99 in open pasture because they were safe together in that, in that group. If they stayed together they would be safe. He was not endangering them by going after the one. Huh. Now, with that being said, Jesus is being criticized for hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And by the way, somebody turned up the air. That feels great. I can, <laughs> I can tell it's right because my wife's cold. Um, there's wisdom in choosing your friends wisely, okay? 
You know, sports stars are told not to hang out with gamblers, although today all you hear about is gambling. It's kind of strange how that changed. Uh, te- if you have a teenager, you don't want them running with the local drug addicts or the druggies because there's a pretty good chance they're going to become one. Uh, in the big cities, if you're parenting your youngsters, you don't want them hanging out with the gangs because you're probably going to end up seeing your child in a gang. But Jesus, when he spent time with these sinners and tax collectors, it wasn't to say, man, I approve of your life, man. Keep on going. Keep on doing it because, you know, I'm a God of love, so what you do doesn't matter. He's going in there to take them the message of salvation, the message of repentance, the message of change. You know, Matthew, when he called Matthew, he didn't say, Matthew, keep, keep being a traitor to your country, keep collecting taxes. No, he says, come follow me. When he dealt with the woman at the well, you know, and she said, well, I've had five husbands, the guy I'm with now is not my husband. He didn't say, all right, just keep, keep on living with him. He said, you know what? You've been truthful. You need to change. The woman called it adultery and said, hey, man, keep on committing to that adultery because I love you. No matter what you do, it's good. Go and sin no more. See, that's the message. Jesus is with these people he's trying to take the good news to. The church should be an oasis in the desert for sinners and all types of notorious people. I've had people say, well, all the people in church are hypocrites. I'm like, good. Hope we get them all. Because if Jesus comes into their life, it can change. Any sinner that we know can change. I'm standing up here in my little tie and everything, looking all fine today. My wife picked my tie out for me. But when I was younger, you wouldn't, I wouldn't have been one of those you'd want in your church. Jesus changed me, and he can change anybody. Instead, many times, churches are very welcome to the clean-shaven and the well-heeled. We need to make sure that we're looking for the lost. See, here's the thing. When Jesus used this illustration, this parable, he did it with a purpose. Because guess what? These religious leaders, what they did is they fancied themselves as the shepherds of Israel. Rightfully so. They were supposed to be. But they did not want to be around the flock. All they wanted to do is be around the other religious people so they could glad hand each other and compliment each other and wish that one was sitting at the the front seat of the table. They just wanted to be around the religious people. They wanted nothing to do with those nasty, filthy sinners and those horrible tax collectors wanted nothing to do with it (laughs) you know it may seem foolish for the shepherd to leave the 99 and search for the one but the shepherd as i said knew the 99 were safe but he knew the one that wandered off from the flock wasn't going to make it wasn't going to make it because each sheep was of high value to the shepherd he knew it was important to diligently search for the one that was missing so the dilemma is this What do you do when one of the flock wanders off? What do you do when somebody's not in the flock? The answer is simple. You get pursuit. That's what the shepherd did. He didn't say, well, let me think about this. And by the way, the shepherd didn't say, hey, I need to call the local preacher and I need to call his associate. You guys need to go out and find that sheep that's lost from the flock. No, he did it himself. He left the sheep. He went after them. He didn't hire professionals. He didn't say, I need to get a private eye to go find out what's going on here. He took the time to do it himself. When we see lost sheep in our herds, if you will, we must pursue them and do the best that we can to bring them back or bring them to Jesus. Because that's what the shepherd did. Let's look at verses 5 and 6. It says this. After the shepherd goes on the hunt, it says, When he has found it, 
he places it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Returning home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, telling them, rejoice with me because I have found my sheep that was lost. So now we have a reaction. Shepherds, what they would do is they would count their sheep each evening, and they'd fall asleep counting them. But anyway, they would count their sheep, and if one was missing, they would go in pursuit of that sheep. They would leave the herd in safe hands, and they would personally go on the hunt. The shepherd didn't hire somebody, he did it himself. So, when you have lost sheep, it is your job to go after them for Jesus. It's not somebody else's job. Somebody can help you, Jerry and I can help, or some, but ultimately, it's, it's your job to do that. Now, our shepherd in our parable, he went and he looked for the sheep, and guess what happened? He found it. Now, when he found it, what did he do? He said, you stupid sheep, you're an idiot. Why'd you wander off? you know what, I'm just going to leave you here and let you get eaten. Or I'm going to let you walk off the cliff, or I'm going to let you drown by looking up at the rain. You know, I'm, I'm just, I don't care about you. Or did he take him and beat the sheep, put him on a rope and drag him home, beating him along the way? Nope. You know what he did? He placed it on his shoulders, and he returned it to the flock. In Shepherds of the East, that was very common. When a lost sheep was found, it was much easier to carry it than it was to drive it because there weren't other sheep for it to follow. Carrying the sheep to the flock showed compassion and it showed care for that sheep. When the sheep wander away from the flock, they're in danger. This parable has a utility as a warning also. See, lost sheep separated from the flock and the shepherd kind of equates to anybody who wanders away from God's people and from God because they're in danger finding and bringing back lost sheep took a lot of effort it wasn't easy but yet the effort was worth it we need to understand that bringing in lost sheep is an effort it takes effort we can't just sit back and say well the doors are open we hope they come back if your child were in trouble and left home would you just say well the door's open I hope they come back no you're going to put in the effort to go find them. Who did Jesus spend time with? He spent time with those he was trying to save. As a church, we do a lot of activities at church, a lot of fellowship things. And by, you know, the reason we do those is twofold. One, for fellowship, we need that. But two, so that you can invite some of your lost friends to come and see, hey, those people aren't that weird. You know, these people are okay. The biggest thing that influenced me for Jesus when I started dating my wife was getting around her friends. Now, these people weren't perfect, okay? They didn't have halos and wings. But I saw something I'd never seen before in my life because the faith I was raised in, I didn't see this. But in my experience, I saw people living for Jesus. I'm like, whoa, wait, wait, wait. No, 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 no. no. You act like that in church. It's Saturday. You don't act like this way on Saturday. No, no, no. You do what you want on Saturday, and then you go confess to the priest, and you're clean to go and do it again next week. That's how it's supposed to work. Nope. These people, as flawed and as problem as they were in life, they lived for Jesus. And it, and it, and it, it, it helped influence me, along with my wife. As a church, we're called to spend time with those we're trying to save. The leaders, the shepherds of Israel, would not lift a finger 
to reach anybody that needed to be reached. Instead, they looked down on them. Ezekiel, in the book of Ezekiel, God is chastising the shepherds of Israel, and he says this, You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost, but with force and harshness you have ruled over them. This passage was prophesied against the leaders of Israel. These folks weren't willing to help anybody. Boy, they were quick to tell you what you were doing wrong. You notice every time Jesus healed somebody, hey, you can't do that, it's a Sabbath. Hey, you can't do that because you broke this other stupid rule that we made up. They were constantly on him. Not one time do you see in Scripture where they're like, wow, the blind guy can see. The beggar doesn't have to beg anymore. The spirit was cast out of the person. The person can walk. One of the things that I love about The Chosen, the, the, the show, the series, and it's not a thousand percent accurate, okay? They've taken some poetic license. But what I love about it is when Jesus heals somebody, I'm visual, okay? I can read words on the page. And as I said before, the resurrection and the crucifixion didn't really take hold in my mind until I saw the passion of the Christ. And then that's like, whoa, now it's really impactful. But when I watch The Chosen, every time Jesus healed somebody, he didn't just go, heal them, okay, bye. Next. They showed the joy. Can you imagine if you were blind from birth or blind for 10 years, couldn't see a thing, and all of a sudden you can see again? Imagine that you were lame and you couldn't walk and you're, you were relegated to being on a mat begging for your, 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 for your money. And then all of a sudden you can get up and walk. Would you not feel joy? <laughs> you're darn right you would. Wouldn't the people who love you feel joy? And one of the things I love about The Chosen is when Jesus healed somebody, you can see they, the, the actor catches it. The joy that Jesus has, seeing that he changed a life, seeing that he changed this blind person's life, this, this beggar's life, this demon-possessed person's life. Do you know that we have something more powerful than that? We may not be able to heal a blind person, fix a lame person, but you know what you can do? You can change their eternal destiny. You can change where they're going for eternity. You can change who they're going to be with for eternity by offering them the gift of salvation, which is greater than any other gift you can have. Yeah, it would be horrible to be blind or lame or these things, but this life at best may be 100, 105 years if you're lucky. Well, I say if you're lucky, if you get there, then it's over on this planet. Eternity is a lot longer. And we have the power through the gift of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, to change a life. That person may go through this life blind. They may go through this life lame. But when they get into the next life, that won't be that case anymore. They'll be fully healed. Hmm. Jesus is concerned about the one because danger takes precedence over all the other sheep who are safe. Here's some facts about lost sheep. Number one, they're defenseless. Well, if God wanted to create an easy target, he did with sheep. Because these guys are dumb as a box of rocks. And if they're being chased, they can't even run fast. You know, a cheetah, man, cheetah can take off and run. You know, a lion can take off and run. A giraffe can run. You know, antelope can run. A sheep, he runs like I do now. He just can't, ain't going to get anywhere. <laughs> His very cries are a signal for the closing of, of, its, of its enemies. He, they hear that sheep bleating and crying. It's like, oh, yeah, it's dinner time, my friend, because that sheep's not going to get away. And so when we think about that, 
It applies to us when we get away from God. Sheep also are lost because they have no sense of direction. I can sort of relate to that. People say you turn, you go, you go north, and I'm, wait, where's north? You know, now I got a watch that has that on it, so I can at least look at it. But I have no sense of direction. I need GPS, you know. For the longest time when I moved here, I couldn't find my way home without the GPS. It was terrible because I wasn't paying attention. But a sheep, once it gets lost, it has no idea. You take a carrier pigeon, it would find its way home. A dog usually can find its way home. They say a cat, if it gets out of you, put the litter box on the porch. If it's within a couple miles, supposedly, it can find its way home. Don't want to find that one out. But a sheep, he's not coming back because he has no idea where he's going. The other thing is when the sheep are out by themselves, dangers surround them. There are beasts of prey, poisonous shrubs, weeds, elemental forces of nature uh, that are hostile to the sheep. They might even just walk off a cliff. They don't know. But what happened? What happened when the sheep was found? What happened when he was found? What's the reaction of the shepherd? Is he mad? Can't believe you're gone. Can't believe you left me. What's your problem? Boy, you're dumb. Nope. His first reaction was love. And his love, you could see it, because he took that sheep and he put it on his shoulders and he carried it back. What was the shepherd doing all along the way? Grumbling, complaining. Can't believe I'm carrying this stupid sheep. Nope. The Bible says in the parable he was rejoicing the whole time. See, when you're so glad to see someone that's lost now found, you're not going to sit there and say, well, if you hadn't been living this horrible life, this wouldn't have happened, and you should have figured this out, and you should have figured that out. I can't believe how stupid you were, but hey, at least you came to Jesus now. We should be rejoicing. The shepherd did not rebuke the sheep. For one thing, the sheep didn't know any better. People who are lost don't know any better. And when we bring them the light of Jesus, it changes. The shepherd is rejoicing. And what does the shepherd do when he gets back? He calls his friends to celebrate with him, to celebrate that I found this sheep. Let's look at verse 7. I tell you in the same way, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need to repent. So now Jesus ends with the rebuke. This part, of the, this part of the parable had to make his religious buddies really uncomfortable. Because these guys weren't stupid. They knew what he was saying. I would imagine, I wasn't there, but I would imagine when Jesus does this part, he's looking right at him. Right at him. Before he ends this parable and moves to the next. After the shepherd's radical act of love, going out and finding the sheep, he returns to his friends to rejoice with him. And he goes on, he says, there's no greater joy in heaven over the salvation of, of one person than over 99 righteous people who have no need to repent. This isn't meant to set up a hierarchy, but it's, but it's meant to condemn the Pharisees and the religious leaders. See, Jesus is telling them, when that shepherd brought that sheep back, you should have been one of the friends who are rejoicing. Those Pharisees should have been rejoicing, but every step of the way in Jesus' ministry, whenever he healed somebody, cast out a demon, whatever he did, they never said, wow, praise God, he can see. Wow, look at this. This person who was far away from God is now close to God. They never did that. They, all they did was gripe and complain. No compassion, no love, nothing. 
And Jesus is saying it shouldn't be that way. And when he speaks of those 99 righteous people who know, have no need to repent, he's specifically speaking of these religious leaders, as well as anyone who thinks they're so self-righteous they don't need to repent, and they're good enough to earn their salvation. We don't necessarily have Pharisees today. We have people that live like them. For instance, the person says, well, I don't need Jesus because I'm a good person. I'm going to go to heaven. That's one of the 99 self-righteous who don't need to repent. They're not going anywhere. They're not going to end up where they think they're going to end up, and that's sad. We need to share the gospel with them. I'm not going to heaven because I'm a good person. I get to go to heaven because I'm covered by the blood of Jesus, in spite of my faults, in spite of my not being such a good person at times. Heaven itself is concerned with the salvation of the lost. The passage says, whenever one comes back, heaven, all of heaven rejoices. We've had what, seven baptisms in the last couple, couple weeks? Man, there's been some serious partying going on in heaven, seeing those souls come to Jesus. It's not just we're glad, it's heaven is glad. The angels rejoice. Unseen creation has joy. You know, we baptize people anytime. We had a baptism Wednesday night. But one of the things I do like about Sunday, although I don't like to push people to it, is that we all get to see it. We all get to share in that joy. We all get to show that support and that love for the person who came to Jesus. People who are lost are in danger. Now, we lament what's going on in our country today. The country is sliding deep into hell because lost people are looking for answers and they're not finding them. So they're making up their own answers. You know, the gender identity thing, you know, that's something that was pretty much unheard of for the most part until just recently. And we've got people who are so lost, they are so distraught in their life, they are so hurt, they think, well, I need to make up, a, I'm a guy, so I'm going to be a girl, everything will be good. No, what they need is Jesus, okay? There's so many people looking for answers in life, they're not finding them, and now they're starting to force their answers onto the rest of society, and we're just sitting back and saying, okay, I guess I'll accept it. The world needs Jesus. This nation will not get out of its tailspin until the church becomes a salt in the light of the earth until we start reaching lost souls. Because those people, it's easy to look at and think, how terrible, how dumb can, how could you think that you're binary or non-binary, what's wrong with you? You know what's wrong? They don't have Jesus. Not to ground them. And it's easy to look at them and think how horrible they are instead of looking at them and say, you know what, they're lost. We need to reach them. The best thing we can ever do for those folks and for anybody who doesn't know Jesus is bring them the gospel of Jesus. We need passion and energy to do it. If one of your own family members was lost, you would have passion and energy. You'd be on the TV. You'd be putting up the little posters. Little Johnny here, he's gone. Help me find him. Here's a reward, and it depends on how much you love your kid, you know, how much the reward is. But, you know, you're, you're going to put it out there, man, and you're going to put them on milk cartons. You're going to do everything you can. You're going to be pat. You're not going to say, well, my little son Johnny, he left, and I hope whoever took him, you know, you'll bring him back. But, I mean, we, you know, we hope he's okay. No, you're going to be passionate about it because he's lost. We need to be that way about lost souls. By way of application, we are called to meet with and show love to those who are lost. Following Christ's example, we're called not to just hang out with people in the church all the time, but we need to get into the worlds of those people who are lost so that we can help bring the gospel to them. We need to facilitate a culture of joy for those who come to faith. 
even when they don't look the part. And I, I'm honestly, one of the things I love about this church is anybody who's walked through these doors, whether they literally crawled out, of that, crawled out of that ditch, which happens, or if they come in in the finest vehicle that you can buy, the folks in this church has always shown love to people. And that's the way it has to be. That's the way it should be. Because you know why? Jesus doesn't care if you crawled out of that ditch or rolled out in a Ferrari. Jesus loves you, and so should we. If Christ cares for the sheep who are far off, weak, and hurting, we are called to do the same. And as we have that opportunity, we need to take every advantage of it because there are so many people who are hurting, who are lost, and who need the message that we have that can bring salvation. This morning, our praise team is going to come up and lead us in a song of decision. And if you have a decision to make for Christ, we'd love for you to come forward this morning to take that gift of salvation that Jesus died for and shed his blood on the cross for. He loves you so much that he wants to have you with him for eternity. He does not want you to be separated from him. If that's what you need this morning, we offer you that opportunity. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward this morning. And if you are struggling and need prayer, if you come forward, I'd be glad to pray with you. But at this time, if you have a decision you need to make for Christ, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing our song of decision.
During this time in our service, we take the time to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. And not only to remember the sacrifice, but also to remember the result of that sacrifice, that he defeated death by God raising him on the third day. And because of that, we have the opportunity to have eternal life through him. And if it were not for the blood that's represented by this cup and for the body that, was, that took, all the, took the beatings for us that's represented by this bread, we couldn't have eternal life. And we would be separated from God for eternity. So as we take our cup and take this loaf this morning, let's rem re remember what it stands for, what it means, and why it was done. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can come around this table this morning to celebrate this time of communion together. Father, we are reminded by the cup and the loaf of the sacrifice and the enormity of the sacrifice that was made by your son and the depth of love that it took for him to do that. Lord, I pray this morning as we take the, the, these emblems this morning that we examine our hearts and we partake. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you. 
On the inside of your bulletin, you have our announcements for this week. Jerry has all of his activities this evening with all the youth. We have Young at Heart on Monday, all of our Bible studies on Wednesday. We have prime time at the Hibachi Grill. So if you'd like to go to that, please make sure you sign up by Tuesday evening. Also, uh, the Art of Marriage, we're still doing registrations for that. We encourage you to sign up for it. There's a QR code, and we also have a kiosk set up in the back if you would like to do it here. Operation Christmas Childs, looking for shorts and socks and undergarments and T-shirts through the month of April. Narrow Path, we're getting ready to gear up for the next one. We will be, it'll be on May 13th. We'll meet at the church at 8, leave at 8.30. We're going to go on some trails on the backside of the Wachukas, so make sure you pack a lunch and bring some water. Also, CareNet is having their Walk for Life on the 20th, uh, 20th of May, so make sure that you take note of that. And then at this time, our uh, security chief has some things he wants to share with us. just checking all right uh so the reason i'm up here this morning is because uh you know we're doing things with the uh, security and the medical team and uh you know we're buying equipment we're doing things so i want to make sure you guys deserve to have a status update basically is what i'm doing uh i'm not gonna take a whole lot of time because we're all hungry and want to get out of here so uh let's get right up into it all right the agenda don't matter i never stay on it anyway all right um so right now we got 10 members on a medical team all right so first service has three uh second service has seven um, I got some pictures in here, but if uh, could all the medical folks kind of stand up right now? We we have a little uh, a little card like Sean back there has got like a little red cross on it and everything. But these are your these are your medical folks here. We got uh, Miss Lori and Dell and Peggy and uh, Sean and Silka, pretty name Silka, um, and Miss Lowry and um, and I got some more pictures up here. But this is this is your medical folks, right? So if you need help or or you need anything or if anything happens, those ones are going to do it. Um, right now what we're doing is once a month we're coming here we're doing some training you know we're, we're uh, refreshing our skills uh, trying to get better what we're doing we're even getting into the uh, auditorium here and we're actually going through processes and actually doing drills and trying to get things down so we get better so we're going to keep developing ourselves as we go um, all right so our equipment just so you guys know like if something happens and one of them says hey go get me the bag 
this is where the bag is at and this is what it looks like so uh thanks to bob hopefully for fixing that to cabinet up for us we got some uh, stickers on there to show that that's where it's at now that right there is an actual trauma bag all right everything in that bag is in a certain place for a certain reason because that's the way we train so if you need band-aids and stuff don't go to that bag just just leave that one alone we have another spot just get one of our folks here and we will get you what you need um, but that one we train on and everything's right where it needs to be um, the next is the AED up here. So right above the cabinet out there, the little white case there has the AED in it. So, you know, we use that for, you know, it's, it sends shock to you and everything. So don't mess with that because you ladies will not get your hair straight for a week. All right. It won't happen. So just leave that in there. We check it every week, make sure it's good to go. And uh, we're getting some new pads and everything for it, too. So we, we'll be good with that. Um, so that is the equipment. Um, here's the photos of our folks on the team there. That's our first service uh, ladies there, Sherry, Sandy, and Catherine. Um, and then, of course, our second service folks that uh, we just kind of mentioned. Now, uh, why y'all having a... He's, uh, he's just happy to be on the team. He's supervised. You know, on another note, somebody married it, so I don't... <laughs> so... I saw that at the post office, I thought. <laughs> so I, don't, I don't know what to tell you about that. Um, all right, so uh, the future of the medical team, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. We're going to grow as needed. Uh, so if you're interested, just come let me know. I'll tell you all the things that kind of go into it and see if that's something that you want to do. Um, and then uh, we're always looking for more folks. Uh, so right now, we're probably going to have a couple of these folks here from Second Service go help with First Service from time to time. Um, but I do know that with Jules's LOL group, I think it is, there was some young ladies who were uh, interested or, or interested in the medical field, maybe doing that like later on in life or whatever else. Uh, I would encourage you uh, young ladies as well as the parents, think about it because you know this is actual legitimate exposure to medical training. We have uh, actual nurses, we're doing actual training, we're doing CPR, first aid, we're getting into all the different ABCs and everything else you can go to scenarios. So it is an actual legitimate exposure to the medical field. It is an actual real capability that we're building here. So, but there is a, a, a responsibility to it because you know, if you volunteer for doing that, you know, we do have the meeting once a month. You will be put onto a schedule, but they can actually be a real value to the church, so please consider that. Um, I'm going to move on from this real quick and talk about a little bit of the security. Um, so right now, we have done a few things to improve security. You can see the doors out here where we put screens on it. Um, so they're no longer accessible from the outside. If something happens and we need to leave, all you simply need to do is just take the bar and slide it to the right where it's unlocked and then leave. It'll, it'll go right on open and you're good to go. Um, we're gonna look into getting some uh, bumpers to put on there, just like kind of like the doors out here. You can just push the bumper, open right up and go, but uh, we hadn't got quite that far yet. The other thing I wanna uh, let you guys know is right now, as far as putting a scheduled capability on duty during, during service hours, we just can't do it right now. We just don't have the people to do it. Um, if we did it, they would be doing it every single Sunday. Um, so think to yourself, see if that's something that you would like to do. Uh, you know, pray about it because it does take some uh, commitment because you will need to come to the meetings. You'll need to get trained up. It's up to you whether you carry or not, but if you carry, there's other things that you need to go into it, you know, being proficient with your weapon and so on and so forth. Um, <clears throat> now, lastly, I forgot to mention this during first service, and I'm about to say something here that might rub you the wrong way, but just, just hear me out on this, all right? 
So I value the fact that we're in a, a country and a state and everything where we can carry our weapons, and I fully encourage folks to carry, carry weapons. But I would caution you with this. If you are carrying a weapon and you don't train with that weapon, you really need to ask yourself and do a risk versus benefit analysis because you never function as well under duress. So I will leave it at that. If you have any questions, I'll be running my mouth out here in the foyer anyway until my wife grabs me and makes me leave. All right, so here we go. I do have one request from the medical team. If my heart trips, keep Jerry away from that, that uh, shocker thing. He's dying to use it on me. Um, yeah, he, he talks about that sometimes, and that scares me. So anyway, thank the medical team and the security team for the work that they're doing. On the, on the back of your bulletin, we have things of praise. We had three baptisms on Easter. We had another one Wednesday night, and we also had another addition on Easter, so that's awesome. And you can see all the concerns. Please keep Ken Martin in your prayers. He's one of our elders. He fell off the roof of his house last week and broke some vertebra, broke some ribs, broke his sternum. Um, he doesn't bounce back like he used to. That's a hard fall. So keep him in your prayers. Hopefully he'll get in rehab in the next couple days. So let's stand together and I'll have a word of prayer and a band will lead us out with a song. Lord, we're so thankful that we could be here today. We thank you for the opportunity we had to come together to worship. And I pray, Lord, as we go out into the world this week, that we see people the way you see them and that we have the same passion that you have for them to bring them to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. It's good to have you.